Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church podcast. My name is Rob Samuelson. I'm an elder here at Generations Church. And with me, as always, is my good friend and the lead pastor of Generations, Mr. Jeff Ludington. Jeff, how's it going? Oh, you know, it's going well. And I feel funny saying that because to be full disclosure with our audience, man, we're recording a couple of these back to back. And so you just asked me that like 30 minutes ago. So yeah, I knew I'm the answer. still I knew the good. Answer. We're still here and I'm still excited to be doing this. So what do you have lined up for this episode? Right. And it's a beautiful day out and yeah, we're in here What's recording podcasts, but yeah. yeah, you know, it's all good. So here's the question again. We're, we're in the middle of a Questions from the classroom series. We're answering questions from high school students. And here's the question for today. Does God ever stop pursuing us if we consistently turn away from him? Is it too easy to just go, yeah, yeah, quit running away from God? Okay, so it's too simplistic to do that. So, hey, how about this? How about four ideas that we can tackle inside of this? The first is the, the premise that Jesus corrects those whom he loves, right? The second one is not everybody who sits in the church next to you, no matter what they say, is actually a follower of Jesus. Third one is some of us that are followers of Jesus are stubborn and slow to learn what Jesus is teaching us. But eternally, anyone who is in Christ is secure. So those four things, right? I I think those will deal with a spectrum of... um, God pursuing us and our variety of levels of faithfulness, listening, not listening, plugging our ears, throwing a tantrum, etc. <laughs> Got it. So let's start with the first one you mentioned. You said that Jesus leads and corrects those whom he loves. So my question is, where do you see this in Scripture? Yeah. So uh, from Genesis to Revelation, that's where I see it. I mean, <laughs> everywhere, God chasing down crazy people, which is all of us. So um, I think a clear one. Revelation 3, and, I, and I, I also like to use this verse because it's often misused, and so I can say, hey, here's the correct context for it. Uh, in Revelation 3, chapters 2 and 3, actually, Jesus is addressing seven churches in Asia Minor. John is writing it down. We've already done uh, episodes about how to interpret Revelation, things like that. So uh, as he speaks to the church in Laodicea, uh, which was a real church in a real city that existed at the time, he talks to them about being lukewarm. Like, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Like, if you were cold, you wouldn't be mine. If you were hot, great, you know. But instead, you're lukewarm. He goes, you make me want to spit you out of my mouth. And the words actually, like, vomit you out of my mouth, right? But he goes on, he says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And this is the part I think is misused. This is often used, uh, people will say, listen, God is calling you, and like in an evangelism sense. God wants you to become a Christian today. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, actually, he's already talking to a church at this point. He's talking to believers that he loves, he reproves and disciplines, and he's calling them as believers to repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That's Jesus standing at the door of the church. How crazy is that? Like, hey, let me in, (laughs) right? Like the church should be all about Jesus. And yet he's like, hey, man, you've kind of got me outside right now because you're so lukewarm. But he does say this. He says, the one who conquers, I will grant with him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says 
to the churches. So the Spirit, Holy Spirit, right, just like Jesus, is speaking to the churches. And the churches often, right, not, and, and again, the second thing we'll talk about is not everybody in the church is a believer, but he's calling churches to repent. He's calling Christians to repent. All right, so yeah, looking at that, and, and again, looking back to that original question, does God ever stop pursuing us if we consistently turn away from him? Often God does, when we turn away from him, correct us, lovingly sure, brings yeah. us back, but painful sometimes. Yeah, and the example is, you know, like we discipline our children, right? Or, you know, anybody we love, uh, we will, you know, snatch them out of a struggle if we can. Like we'll, we'll correct them because it's good for them. We love them. We will teach them the better or the best or the holiest or, the, you know, whatever God's way. So the second thing you said was not everyone who says they follow Jesus actually follows Jesus. And first thought that came to mind was Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And, and this is harsh. Yeah, <laughs> and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's brutal, right? And so this one, this is the reason we have the fourth point that we'll get to in a minute, right? But this is a stern warning, right? And, and here's what, you know, I was going to put it in modern day terms, right? Not everybody sitting in church who's singing along with the songs and dropping a couple bucks in the offering plate or, you know, whatever you guys do. Uh, or even serving in a ministry. Not everybody who does that is a Christian. And we have a, we have a church, that, it's fairly healthy, and it, it's a good mix of people. It's, it's a lot of young folks. It's a lot of, you know, it's a variety of ethnicities and age groups and socioeconomic statuses. And we have several people that are not believers, and they'll tell you they're not believers, right? We also have people that are sitting there that profess to be Christians. And I know I can't judge their heart. I don't know their heart. I know that's the kind of judgment I can't do. But the kind I'm told to do is to look at who they are and, and kind of assess, right? Especially as a pastor, but any Christian can do that. And I see people that profess to be Christians, and I see no sign of following Jesus in their lives. And I don't mean, you know, you've been a Christian for five minutes and you just don't look like Jesus, right? But I mean people that have been walking with Jesus, or let me rephrase that. People have been professed to be Christians for a while who haven't changed, and they look exactly the same. And I, I'm not, I, and so again, it is God only who can judge the sincerity of their heart. But what I see is people who are not repentant of anything and not changing. One of the actual definitions of a saving faith is a faith that transforms you. It's not works that we do, but what we believe will change how we live, right? And I always use kind of a dumb example, but if I believe the electricity over there in that wall is dangerous, I won't lick my finger and stick my finger in the, in the socket, right? I'm going to be more cautious. If I believe fire will burn me, you know, even if I have to cook or build a fire or do something, I'll be cautious, right? And so it will change. My belief will change the way I act, and we will see that. And so if I truly believe in Jesus, Jesus will, if he loves me, he'll discipline me. We've already said that. And if he does, and I truly believe in Jesus, then I will change, and so repentance is a mark of a true Christian, right? That we don't repent in order to be saved, but those who are saved do repent. Does that make sense? Yeah, so does that mean that these people we're talking about who don't repent, does this mean that they were never followers of God? They don't belong to God at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I would say there are many, 
I, I'm not going to put a number or percentage or anything crazy on it, but many who profess to be Christians who are not, right? There's a famous story, uh, the most famous preached message by Jonathan N. Edwards, uh, what is that, 200 years ago, right, in the Second Great Awakening, was a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, right? And Edwards preached this sermon at a church of full of people who profess to be Christians, and it's a crazy number, like 60, 70% of them came to faith that day. We're talking elders, leaders, people who have been professing to be Christians for a long time. They, did, they didn't understand what actually being a Christian meant. And so, yes, a lot of people that sit in churches every Sunday are not Christians. I, I, that's just true. And then that's not true of everybody, and we don't look at the outside and immediately assume, oh, they're not a Christian. That's, that's not, again, heaven and hell, only God gets to determine that. And the Bible is full of examples of people just like you and me and everybody listening that are stiff-necked and hard-hearted. That's two images we get. In Exodus, God is so mad at the people of Israel because he's been leading them and miraculously caring for them, right? And then they make an idol of a golden calf. And God actually says to Moses, go down for your people who you brought up. Like, hey, it's like saying when you're, you're mad at your kids and you look at your wife and go, your daughter did this, right? You know, so it's that. But he goes, he says, listen, and the Lord said to Moses, verse, uh, it's uh, chapter 32, verse 9, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people, right? Stiff-necked. And uh, they are stiff-necked. They don't listen to me. They've got their head turned away. They're not listening to me. And Paul writes to the church in Rome He says, do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you towards repentance, like God's love and discipline should change you. But he says, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself, right? So stiff-necked, hard-hearted is both applied to people that are believers as well, right? And so I think the warning is that we're guilty of that. So if if we're looking around and we're saying God is saying this, God isn't saying it to other people. God is saying it to us. Repentance is for us, whoever the us is, right? If you're not a believer, repentance is how you become a believer, really, right? You, Jesus makes you a believer, and your first step is repentance, right? So if you're a believer, ongoing repentance is a part of our lives. None of us have arrived. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 100 years. You're still full of sin, right? You still are called to repentance, and if Jesus loves you, he's going to continue to lead you towards him, which is going to require repentance. Right. So the question, does God ever stop pursuing us? Um, there's, some, there's some scary warnings in here. And so I guess I, I'd like to close with something that, that is... You're going to close with a freak out warning verse and no, just no, make everybody opposite. scared to death? All right. <laughs> I think we need, some, we need some comfort. We need some reassurance. I think, you know, how do we know we belong to God? Is there good news, I guess, to close with? And I just think back on a a sermon you preached not too long ago in our series um, on kings and prophets from 1 Samuel that says, Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. So it does seem like God stopped pursuing him. So how would you, how would you yeah. deal with that, with what we're talking about? So let me take this back to the gospel. Um, and, and in the gospel, there is great security and hope, right? There's also some strong warnings. Like you said, some of these things are very, very strong verses. It said... Uh, Again, like we always say, let the clear things help you interpret the unclear things, right? So there's some very clear warnings about what your face should look like, right? And so the gospel is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? But God in his grace and love has 
become flesh. Jesus had become flesh and lived and died and rose again on our behalf. And so in his death, he covers our sin, his resurrection, he gives us new life. He lived a sinless life, becoming a perfect savior for us, right? So as Jesus accomplishes all this, he ascends back to heaven where he says, I'm going to pour my spirit out on you. The promise of baptism is this. We see it very clearly in Acts 2, right? Verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And that's a bunch of people ask, and they're Jewish people, a bunch of people ask Jesus, I mean, I'm sorry, ask Peter, how do we follow this Jesus? And he says this, and it's Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So there's this promise of the Holy Spirit, right? And so the Holy Spirit then becomes the voice of God inside of us, leading us, transforming us, applying the power of the gospel that God has ordained and Jesus has accomplished, applying it to our lives, right? We call that sanctification or becoming more like Jesus or, you know, kind of working through our sin. And so we see glimpses of people who God is using, and Saul is one of them, and he's a horrible example, right? He's, he starts off good, and then it's tragic. Like, it doesn't take very long, and he becomes the bad example really quick and really bad. And then, you know, like that verse you said, now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And so it may not be talking about heaven and hell here, right? God called Saul to be king and then empowered him to be king through his spirit, right? And then he blew that and he ran from God and he continued to disobey God. This isn't like the first thing he did wrong. This is 25 things in, right? And so big epic failures. And it says, so God pulled his spirit. And what I see here is removing the gift of the empowerment of being king, not necessarily eternity, right? And it, then it says, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him, right? What I see here is God provoking Saul to return and repent, right? It doesn't, a harmful spirit doesn't necessarily mean now he's demon-possessed and going to hell. I think we read into that, right? He takes away his empowerment, and then he provokes him to, to repent. And that's what I see in Saul's life. I, I think the gospel gives us great security. And some of the clearest teaching on this, right? Jesus says, I told you, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. This is John 10. Uh, but you believe because you're not, a, uh, you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. He says, you're not my people. You don't believe. That's those people that are not, that are sitting there in church and they never really have that, that relationship with Jesus. At the end, they're like, hey, I went to church. I sang the songs. I gave money. Why don't I get to go to heaven? Because I never knew you. He said, you're not my sheep, right? That passage goes on. He says, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So here's what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice. Sometimes sheep are stupid. Sometimes sheep are stinky. Sometimes sheep are hard-hearted and stiff-necked, right? And they take a while to get back on track, but they hear his voice, right? They hear the call to change. He says, and they follow me. The eventual outcomes they'll follow, right? I give them eternal life. They will never perish. They, that's not a maybe. That's if they do this, then this. It's their mind. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. It's one of the most secure verses in all of scripture. He goes on, my, Jesus goes on, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So here's what Jesus says. If you're mine, you will hear my voice. You'll follow me. You will change, right? Change doesn't equal I'm a Christian. Being a Christian equals I will change, right? Grace transforms us. It's not, we don't, you know, we don't wash our hands and wash our feet and all that just to jump in the shower. We get in the shower and let it change us, right? The gospel transforms us. We don't change for the gospel. And so Jesus says, listen, when you're mine, you'll, you'll know my voice. You'll have my spirit, right? 
if you're stiff-necked and hard-hearted, I'll back up. I'll let you run into your own struggles, but I'm here, you know. I'll correct. I'll call you, right? You have that opportunity. And so I don't, what I, what I want you to hear, what I want everyone, not you, everyone, in Christ, you're secure, right? If you are truly in Christ, if you hear his voice, if you've been a repentant person, you'll know. You know. You've got his spirit. You are a work in progress. You're Christ. You're secure. Your eternity is secure here. Jesus saved you. God is sovereign. You can't mess it up. You can slow the process of change, for sure, by plugging your ears and being stiff-necked and hard-hearted, right? But if you're in Christ, you're secure, what I don't want this to be is your salvation is contingent upon your next act of repentance, right? Because it's not. Your, your salvation is dependent upon Jesus. Your life in Jesus is dependent upon you surrendering to Jesus. But your eternity is secure. In that same series, we talked about walking through the penalties of your sin, even when you're forgiven. Even when you're going to heaven, you still make bad decisions. You know, if you, you, know, if you drive drunk and you hurt somebody, you go to jail, right? And you can be forgiven, you can go to heaven, but you still have to go through that jail sentence, right? I mean, you have to walk through the penalties, but our salvation is secure. If you're truly in Christ, our salvation is secure. Yeah, that's a great place to end. I always love when our podcasts end with that hope and comfort of knowing that uh, God's grace is secure, that if we are that one sheep that walks away, he will pursue us and bring us back. There may be correction, mm-hmm. right? Loving correction, uh, and we may not like it, but we are his. We belong to him and nothing can take us away yeah. from him. So let's end there. We want to thank you for listening. Again, we release a new episode every Tuesday. If you have questions, questions at generations.email is where you can send those. And uh, we'd like you to share this episode. Sit down, listen to it with someone else, talk about it, like it, subscribe to it, uh, leave us a comment if you would like to. And uh, we pray that God will bless you this week and we hope you'll listen next week. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church, G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.